0: So Tony had this umbro caught and we were working together and they put us out in plain clothes observations, just us two. And we were, uh, as you can imagine, a bit thick as thieves and we were thinking we were starsky and all over Burnley, Burnley Wood, Bruncher. And uh, there was a report of a car that was traveling. It sounded like been nicked or a disqualified driver or something. And uh, traffic cops, being traffic cops, we're chasing this car all over the place. Tony, quick as a flash, said, listen, let's just go to the, the keeper's house, the, the registered keeper's house, and see if it turns up. So we're in this unmarked CID car, which obviously everyone knew were a CID car. We parked up around the corner, and this car turned turned up right outside the house. So we get out of our car, this lad gets out of the car, I don't know if it was drunk or disqualified or stolen or whatever, but it turned up and um, we're thinking where everyone, Tony says, I'll go and get him, you tell everyone to come and assist us. So I'm on the radio, yeah, yeah, whatever call signs, this lad's here. Yeah, Tony was just going to dis- detain the lad and um, and Tony, Jez, Jez, quick, just come and you go and get him. But yeah, yeah, Tony's just going to get him, there's no, there's no dramas. Uh, Tony, what's up? Let's go and get him, just go and get him. I said, what's up? And this lad legged it. Look around, Tony had got his jacket fastened in the driver's seat of the car. (laughs) 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 We'll see whether we can put that out there. (laughs) That is 100% true story, that. Um, Yeah, it is. Oh dear. It's a Tuesday night. We're trying to fire all these podcasts in, as many as we can, to get some people out there. I'm hosting this one tonight, I'm Jez. We've got Joe Martin and Joe Bernadutio helping me out. They're doing a great job. It's working well for what we're getting out there and it's so good that we're getting the feedback that we're getting and that people are enjoying listening to old stories, funny ditties from, uh, from the cricket club. Adam's the one who's behind all this. Yeah, we're putting our time into it. But Adam cuts and, and gets everything into, uh, into a decent order so he can shift it out there on whatever medium we're listening to. So before we move on to tonight's special guest, Joe Martin, anything to report? Anything changed from the last time we uh, chatted? Has anything
1: changed? Not really. To no, uh, nothing to come back on yet. Have you dressed, have you dressed up again at all or not? No, well, but it's funny you should say that. On Friday, because it's the VE Day celebrations, uh, or commemorations rather than celebrations, I guess, we're, we are having an indoor street party within our house.
2: <laughs> an indoor street party. Want on, explain.
1: So we are... I'm, I'm cooking a full roast as a celebration. Uh, a roast? Uh, roast chicken. Well, uh, with accompanying veg. And I think my sister's going to bake a cake of some kind. What, and, what's the and street, What's the street bit of it? Well, the re well, no, I imagined that because it was a bank holiday before the virus and disease, etc. I imagined that on the bank holiday, people would have been having street parties to emulate what happened in 75 years ago. So I'm, we're all, we, we get, well, this was my idea, can I add? So we're dressing up, I'm going to put my suit off and uh, yeah, so we're going to have a we're going to have a go at that and see. I mean, we're very strange. I mean, but I'm happy. I mean, people know that. and I'm sort of happy to I'm happy to sort of crack on with that. But apart from that, no, I'm, there's nothing of any note. You're eating okay? Yeah, yeah. So you're going, yeah, out, going
0: out running every yeah. day still?
1: Yeah, running every day. It's very hilly where I live, so, it, so it's it's not easy. But yeah, running every day, doing little bits of work to keep things ticking over. I, I finished one set and uh, I don't have a lot of work to do. I'm not going to lie to you.
0: I can tell with the amount of time you're WhatsApping me. Uh, anyway, Joel, we've been up with that. Luke, what have you been up, up to over the last few uh, few days, since we've last chatted?
2: Not a lot, Jez. Not much to report, really. Don't want to go on too long after Joel's intro there. People no. moving off.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: Right, we'll move on to
0: it then. Um, right, this is... We're going to continue. We've had lots of people come into us with regard how much they're enjoying it, how much they want to contribute. I much disagree with some of the comments and we've so we've got some guests lined up over the next uh you know two or three recordings that I'm sure you'll all enjoy. Just to break you up a little bit from topics of you know from uh one season or particular pros or or how the cricket went, we've decided to bring in a a section or an episode called Famous Friends at Lower House. I'm sure Adam will add some sort of, uh, uh, some music to the back of that. Jay,
1: I'm off
2: mate, see you soon. All right, mate.
1: Who was that? Just a friend. You've made a new friend? Oh, a friend? Since when have you had other friends? Oh, friend! I knew him from when we were doing trials at West Ham. He's moved into the area, he's just some guy. Uh, Some guy? Oh, he's just some guy. he's just some guy. That's all it is. Just a friend from when Jay had trials at West Ham that never happened. Don't forget the thumbs up. Oh, friend. Oh, new friend. 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 Oh, friend. Please be my friend. Oh, Oh, friend. Oh, friend. friend. Fuck you, lot. where's the beer?
0: Tonight we've got one of the oldest friends within Law House, a real character who's got lots to talk to us about, we've got Tony Woodworth with us. Well? Yeah, yeah, we're, yeah, I'm very well, thanks. Yeah, just keeping uh, keeping busy, you know, going out walking. What about you? Uh, are you still working?
3: Still working, Jez, yeah, unfortunately. Still yeah. classed as a key worker.
0: Right, yeah, I'm not surprised. That's good. We've got you on, Tony, just really to chat through about, you know, how how you came into to Laura's Cricket Club. I've probably known you now for 20 years, would you say?
3: Yeah, at least.
0: Yeah, I think it was uh, when we first started working together, maybe six months or 12 months before that. And, you know, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, to to know you and to to be with you and be friendly with you and to some of the times we've had together, whether it's sport or not sport, whether it's social, so really glad that you come on and and just chat about your career in sport etc. Have you have you had a chance to listen to the podcast much over uh, the Laurence podcast? I've, I've
3: listened to I've listened to the last few, Jen, and I think they're, they're absolutely outstanding and. Uh, like I say, great insight into the lower house and, and what goes on and, and the camaraderie between the players over the years. And, and as we all know, it's it's in history. How, how things have changed since I joined. Well, not just because I joined, things <laughs> turn
2: around.
3: Have you
2: got any observations on any of the stuff that have come out the last few podcasts, Tony? Yeah, yes, any of the stories that you've heard?
3: Yes, Joe, I have. Is, is that where you'd like me to just
2: start? You yes. You might as well.
3: Well, the, the first one, Joe, I was a bit disappointed in you saying that I wasn't very strong. Cricket wasn't my strongest forte. Um, when, you know, back in the day, in my schoolboy days, I opened the batting with my, Michael Atherton. And I would, you know, I like to think I uh, I earned that. But I had to make a decision, whether it be cricket or football. And unfortunately, I chose football, which... Looking back, I should have perhaps gone to cricket, but never mind. The second um, one, which I still I know I know people have tried to clarify, but uh, first-hand experience was the Stan Eaton story at Rishton. <laughs> it was, it was a, a fantastic knock by Jacques Rudolph, which I'm sure we'll come on to later. We'd amassed 230-odd 200, runs, and, and, and as you know, at Rishton, Uh, The changing rooms are virtually next to each other. And as much as Stan was captain, Stan wanted to rally everybody, but decided we were going to have a huddle on the pitch, which we'd never heard of in them days, which we did. We went out early, had the huddle on the pitch, and Stan was giving this Churchillian speech about, uh, oh, they've only got one batsman, they've only got Russell Waller. If we get Russell Waller, a pro can't bat, we'll roll these over and and so on. So we set that, I think Jez was bowling. It was only my third game in the first team. And uh, set the field, and Stan was at goal. I don't know where he's got third slip from. Stan was at a, a gully position. And as Jez was about to run up, Blaise shouts across, Matt, Matt, do you <coughs> think what we've said there, that Russell's only got one shot, and he's going to give us a chance early on. Do you think Stan should be there? And at first, I thought it was a, a, a good tack by Blaise to get into Russell Wally's head uh, and wind him up a little bit. Which Stan bit and said, "No, I'm, all right. I'm the best fielder. I've done this and I've done that." <laughs> and of course, Jez, Jez bowls his first ball outswinger, wild slog by Russell, right off the edge, straight to him, and he spilled it. <laughs> With- Where this six-foot dive has come from, and it only left his hands when his elbows hit the floor, I do not know. And he was ridiculed from the side, I'll never forget, two great stalwarts of the Lancashire League and Richland Cricket Club, Eric Worley and Frank Martindale, were sat on a bench.
0: Yeah, yeah, they were, that's right, yeah.
3: Ridiculing Stan from that moment on, at which point it really, really got to him and he turned around and he'd stand after a bit and he said, have you two not got a nursing arm? you can go and sit <laughs> Well, that's a bit of truth on that one. Um, and I listened on my way into work this morning, I listened to Matt uh, talk about the 2004 season. Well, I wasn't playing then, of course. Uh, things had turned around and, and they were becoming a successful team. But I was quite interested in listening to Matt when he, he kept saying, I can't remember many of the league games, I can't remember this, I can't remember that. And I've got an explanation for that as well, it's because after every game, me and Matt would probably have 10, 15 pints, and by midnight, we were sat on the bench on the corner of Green Road, Lower House Lane, waiting for <laughs> Planet Peter to deliver our supper. <laughs>
0: That's true. If Matt wasn't there, Tony, the odd occasion, they used to deliver it to your house, didn't they? Oh, always. Always. They'd yeah, walk in and leave it on the... Uh, leave it? They had a key, I think. <laughs> fantastic, Tony, fantastic. I, I love the observations and, uh, and you're clearly all over this and listening to it and wanting uh, to contribute like a lot of others. I'd like to just get into your, your career, your sporting, sporting career, as mm. when you were uh, a young lad. I've checked, done a little bit of research, which I've never really done on you before, because you know, obviously what you tell me is, is always the truth. And, and Tony does actually uh, feature on Wikipedia. Uh, it says that Tony is a former professional footballer and was born in Manchester in 1968. It's quite scant then what it says, but it says Tony made his only first team appearance for Burnley in the 0 6 home defeat at Heri- to Hereford United. Well we know Tony there's more to discuss than just that defeat. And as you just mentioned there, how you you know you played with Michael Atherton, probably something Joe Benarucci's never done. Uh, yeah. after advertising you. uh but then you ended up playing Lancashire Lancashire League cricket in the first team. Uh and, and, and quite successfully my entire. So I'd be interested to know for me, Tony, I'm sure a lot of the other people who are gonna to listen to this, just, just describe how, you know, as a schoolboy late in, you know Later, as a schoolboy, where you got into being as good a good enough player to be scouted and to become an apprentice or a professional footballer. Just tell us a bit of background about that.
3: Well, again, I'm from as it's quite like I said. I'm born in Manchester, so I presume that Lancashire was very much schoolboy football was the same as 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 Manchester. We had a we had a town team which was Manchester schoolboys. Um, but you're allowed to play for Sunday teams as well. Um yeah. and, and in them days, if you were deemed good enough, from the age of fourteen, you could sign what they call affiliated schoolboy forms. I suppose nowadays they have the academies and but they take you a lot earlier. But fourteen was the legal age that you could sign for a professional club, and that sort of tied you to that club for training. Uh, and then they had first option to sign you as an apprentice. Uh, As you can imagine, the clubs in that area, the big clubs, City United, and then you went down to Bolton, um, Oldham, uh, Wigan. Uh, And I was fortunate to to sign for uh, Oldham at Schoolboy Forms, um, which again, like I say, tied me to Oldham up until they decided whether they wanted to sign me as an apprentice or not when I left school at 16. Um, Didn't really, as as much as I used to go and train over at Oldham every week, they didn't really have um, a youth side as such, apart from the side that played in the FAU side. So game time was limited. And and it was no surprise to me that just before Christmas um, 1983, uh, I got released from um, Alden, which then gave me the opportunity to go and have trials at, at other clubs. Now, I was playing in, uh, on a Sunday for a ta- side called Cheadle Town, which was a, a side run by two great fellas, Mike Walker and Alan Sherwood. Alan Sherwood had links to many professional clubs. Um, and in the league that we played, we played against junior sides for City and United City. had a side called Midas. Um, and names you'll probably remember, Paul Malden, David White, Steve Redmond, all went on to play City's first team. Yeah. United, United side was called Jubilee. So you're always playing competitive football. Scouts were always coming. Um, and many times you get asked if you wanted to uh, go for a trial or, or go, go and have a training session with them. Alan Sherwood had, uh, had a friend who, who got me to go to um, a two-week trial at Watford, which was, again... For a 15-year-old, it was an amazing experience. Um, Graham Taylor was the manager, um, and they they had an amazing side then. They had the likes of John Barnes, Nigel Callaghan, Steve Sherwood, with the goalkeeper. And one of the best moments for me in that first two-week trial there, they had a guy called Alan Hodgkinson who was a goalkeeping coach, and that's all you did for for two days of the week was just goalkeeping drills, and it were amazing. I got invited back again after that. In between, I'd been to York, I'd been to Crewe. um, And then I I went back to Watford for another two weeks, which was just before they were going to the FA Cup final that year against Everton. um, Right, yeah. 83, 84. Um, So that club was amazing and and very, very welcoming, very, very friendly and somewhere that, you know, if I, I had the chance, I, I thought I'd had a technique.
0: You know, when you were going you know, to these clubs, you know, that's a long way away at Watford for a 14, 15-year-old. Was, was there a lot of uh, junior footballers there? Um, you know, so you really were, you know, in a big pond or did you think you had a chance then? N- well, I
3: was probably the only one who travelled as far, Jess. Obviously, uh, Manchester to Watford. Down there at the time, there was a lot of um, Watford in the area, you know, London, yeah, um, and it, that was one of the things. It was a massive, a massive club with a massive pool of players, so you would have been a one of many, if you will. Right. Um, and and then right at the last minute, um, I was approached by a guy called uh, John Doherty, who was a chief scout at Burnley. He invited right. me across Burnley, um, and I came over to, to Burnley uh, and I had a couple of weeks. Trials here, right, and, and then it came to crunch time, and I was inv- I was offered YTS a twelve month YTS at Watford, uh, and I was offered a twelve month YTS at Burn. Um, now, the distance to for, for going to Watford was um, a design, a determining factor. A lovely, like I said a lovely club. Probably, training facilities were well a little better. Burnley had a fantastic uh, reputation for the youth system uh, right. it, was, it was only down the road and uh, obviously I, I'm a big man I was a big man city fan uh, 1981 I'd been to Wembley to watch city at uh, Wembley in the FA cup final against Tottenham yeah, yeah. and of course, of course in 1983 the the management team of, of city's cup final was was now at Burnley with John Bond and John Benson Right, uh, along with many of the uh, Cup Final squad: Jerry Gow, Tommy Hutchinson, Kevin Reeves, Dennis Stewart, Jerry Gow, Steve Daly. These were all at Burnley now. So yeah.
0: I do remember that, Tony. So what? I mean, I can't. I don't know why. You know, the city staff, the backroom staff, came to Burnley. That that obviously influenced you a lot, did it?
3: Well, amongst amongst other things, Jez, like I say, the, the 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 reputation Burnley had for a youth the youth policy. It was never going to be as big a squad as Watford. So if you had, we were going to have a chance. It was probably going to be at Burnley, and for one year, the proximity of Burnley to Manchester compared to Watford to Manchester, I think. Yeah. That 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 sort of swung
0: it. Yeah,
3: yeah.
0: So you signed up for the uh, for the Clarets, the YTS for the Clarets.
3: Yeah, 1984. I'd, I'd been out of school probably three weeks when got brought over to to Burnley to join. You know, I, and like I say, and I meant no bones about this. It was a childhood dream to to be even have an opportunity to join a professional football club. And I'm sure many, many, many young boys dream of it. Uh, and I feel so privileged to have won done it and actually played played for a, a club as, as as fantastic as Burnley didn't turn out as well as what I'd like. but And I, and I, and I think, it, you know, what, what I can tell you uh, and what I can talk about tonight is, is what a difference it, it was then and, and probably what a poor state, through nobody's fault, what a poor state the club was in compared to how things have turned around now and, um, you know, and, and how well they are doing now and the facilities they've got now.
0: Yeah, so you would have been then... Well, 84 you'd have been 16, 16 and a half 16, yeah i just turned 16 in the march left school a house on Hollingrove road i believe yeah moved into
3: moved into digs the club provided digs for you when you first come over um i moved in with a a, a couple called ann and sam burgess on Hollingreve road again lovely couple very very welcoming looked after us unfortunately sam had been taken poorly uh so ann was preoccupied with looking after Sam quite rightly but she still wanted to have the young footballers and so there was me and another lad from Manchester called Carl Cloran first year YTS and also living there was was a young professional called Phil Malley who, who was uh, a lad from Newcastle I, I got very friendly with and he, and he did a lot for me and looked after me an awful lot in, in my time at Burnley. And, and it was really it was it was straight into you know working life if you will people don't think it's work but for, for a young lad just leaving school it was straight into uh, into working life and, and doing stuff around the ground which we'd not really knew anything about and then all of a sudden you're into this training regime of, of just running and running and running but like yeah. I say when there was a group I think there was eight of us uh, that joined that year uh, probably the most notable of of our group was was Ashley Oski, who was a local lad from Kong, Went on to play the first team. Uh, there was a lad from Ireland called Peter Gray. Two lads from Scotland, Donald Duncan and Gordon Connolly. And there was another goalkeeper, a lad from Blackpool called Sean Gotto. There were three apprentices who, who became who were second year apprentices. So there was a, the, that was the nucleus of your team. You'd had a clear out of most of the first team, but we still had some. Some real names, Mickey Phelan were there, Derek Scott were there, Vince Overson, Billy Hamilton, Brian Flynn, uh, Kevin Erd had joined. And, and like I said, John Bond was the manager. So, you know, for my first few days of meeting them, it was it was unbelievable. You know, three years ago, I've been watching them at Wembley and, and now you're sharing a football pitch and the changing rooms and, and, a, and a working environment with such people. But as a, as a, as a young apprentice, you, you know, you soon realise that you know, you you just uh, you know a, a bit of a lackey, and and the jobs that you had to the jobs that you had to do uh, on a daily basis. You were you had to be at turf for, for half eight every morning. You'd I don't again you might know these names, you might not, but George Bray, legend of the club. George was like kit man, and Muriel would would have all the kit packed ready in bags. We'd have to load it onto the minibus. Get
1: down to go. I'm a boring you, Joe. <laughs> Me. <laughs> No, I'm trying get to out. plug my charger into my laptop because it had fallen out. <laughs> Never bore me, T. Get down
3: to Gorthor, you'd have to put the kit out. You know, every player would have his own towel, jock strap, shorts, you know, for various sizes for various people. You'd have to get the boots ready. You'd have to have a big pot of tea ready for him for when he walked in. Make sure the balls were pumped up. You had to make sure the bibs were clean. Uh, you know, you had all these holes task of jobs to do and that's before you did any football and and before you did anything yourself Um,
0: Yeah I mean when you think back when you think you know you look at what's I mean I I dare even say and Joe Martin might come in with this now you know our juniors and our young section don't do that down at cricket club now No and then amateurs. I don't know what you think, Joe Martin. What do you think of that as a, as a professional
1: sportsman? I think it's a really valid point you make there, Jess, because I think when, in maybe the 80s or the 90s, I think that the juniors at the club or, you know, the the younger players at the club were probably not as intense as what as what Tony would have had hit it. A a, a professional football club but probably would have had a similar role I imagine you know they'd be putting flags out and stuff and stumps and whatever whereas now I think it's I mean we can't really do enough for them no
0: (laughs) it's it's, 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 you know we're not saying whether it's right or it's wrong but you're right you know myself and Stan and Roger Bromley and other people used to have to put these nets up at the cricket club you know, and there were poles you had to hammer into the ground and then there were guy ropes to held them all up and Higgy used to come in and complain if they weren't just right. So it, but that's, that's probably the role of society. Tony, you, know, you, are, you are renowned for you know, your humour and you know, what a character and maybe some would say a prankster. Did you learn anything in those early days? As far as what you brought forward with you when you were only 15 and 16 from these older, experienced players.
3: Again, you know, you, you look back and, and and people do call that, that 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 time of the football club as as being the worst times of the you know of the club's history, and I can fully understand that. But you know, from, from my time being there, I can honestly say every, every one of them give all to give their all. Maybe we just weren't good enough as a group. They were they were a fantastic bunch of players, and I think all all they ever did was was give give the best and give on hundred percent, which is yeah. I think speaks a lot. One one thing I did, and I, I nearly cost me, me my job, was uh, we used to have to go across to because we were on YTS, you had to do a a Wednesday afternoon uh, education. Right. and was ours, ours were at Blackburn Rovers, so we had to go over to Blackburn Rovers every Wednesday afternoon and have this session with the Blackburn apprentices and as you say a bit of a prankster I I emptied a salt pot into a player's pocket and he he took exception to it and emptied it it onto the Blackburn Rovers flag or emblem in the carpet and it all kicked off so we all got paraded we all got paraded on the next day and and I held my hand up which was probably the best thing to do and and it taught me a lot that you know if you've done something wrong hold your hand up because because I held my hand up, it was like a warning. But you know, I can imagine if I'd if i denied it. Yeah, yeah. So that that was a that was a calmed me down for a little bit.
0: But soon right. over. so then we, you know, as you said, 1984. You know, there's some great players still there when you look at the names of them. But yeah, you're, you're right. In you know, goodness mm-hmm. no, I don't know whether you knew what was going in the background. You're obviously only very young then. Whether you've looked at it since, I, I certainly don't know why it went through that stage of. Because how many managers went through that next two or three years,
3: Tony? Well, you're right there, Jess. I mean, it's only probably after I'd left and 10, 15 years later, when you see how the club had turned around, that you, you realised how bad things were. In relation to managers, I, I, like I say, I went in 1984. John Bond was the manager. John Benson was his assistant. Uh, never really got to see John Bond that much. And, and after pre-season, he, he resigned for whatever reason. I don't know. John bon- John Benson was given the given the job for the next season, and he had a guy called Ian McFarlane work with him. We sort of Kevin Reeves was was badly injured. I think he'd broken his hip, so he couldn't play first team. So he sort of took on the role of youth team coach after the end of that season. So that that was the eighty four eighty five season, which they were relegated to from Division three to Division four. They then lost a lot of players. Mickey Phelan went to Norwich. Vince Olsen went to Birmingham, I think. Derek Scott went to Bolton. So it was a really, really depleted squad then. Um, and it, it was clear they had limited funds, 80, yeah. 85, 86. Martin Buchan was appointed manager. He brought with him Tommy Kavanagh. Tommy Kavanagh was renowned or famous for being the right-hand man to Tommy Dock at United. Martin Booker was a lovely fella, but again, for, for some reason, whether it was pressure, he, he packed in after pre-season, so never really got into it. Tommy Kavanagh took on the role of manager for that season. He sort of took Joe Gallagher with him as his right-hand man. Um, yeah. And then Tommy Kavanagh packed in at the end of the 85-86 season, and Brian Miller came back 86-87 when again we had a really really depleted squad and, and probably through that Tommy Cavanaugh season it's probably one of the best for me because that's when I was off the professional terms and signed my professional contract but also um, Tommy Cavanaugh hated losing and uh, pulled we, we had a we had the central league side which was yeah. obviously the, the reserves and Tommy Cavanaugh hated losing and our reserve side were forever getting beat, but the experience you used to get from playing in that central league was unbelievable and a stepping stone to the first team because you were playing alongside your pros that were coming back from injury or you are playing against pros that were coming back from injury and playing at a very, very good standard of football on on football grounds. So when when Tommy Cavanaugh pulled the side out of that and then he resigned because he he was having health problems, it left the, the gulf between first team and the youth team, so there was no in between. So you were going from under 18s teams, yeah. to, to the first team, which was which was a massive, massive gulf. Um, and again, that's when the club you realised the club was was in dire, dire straits. Really, because we had as a youth team, you had no, you had no structure. You know, bless him, Arthur Bellamy, a fantastic fellow a fantastic servant to the club. He was like tripling up as Brian Miller's assistant, the groundsman at Gawthorpe. Yeah. And, and and running the youth team during the week they had no dedicated coach for the youth team that played in the lancashire youth league on a saturday morning and it got that bad where you know players uh, who weren't in the first, involved in the first team squad would have to take the the youth team on a saturday morning
0: yeah.
3: real didn't really have any interest in it or any any knowledge or you know, uh, which was a bit demoralising for the young lads but that, that's how it was and, and when you look back and, and you look what they've got today and I'm not, I'm not knocking the kids who are there today I'm not knocking the club but you know, I had a quick look at the thing today the under 18s have, have, a, have a coach an assistant coach their own physio their own strengthening coach the under 23s have the same you know, We didn't, we couldn't even have one coach
2: I was just going to say, you mentioned about signing your professional terms. How, how does that work? How, how did it work then? Do you, somebody tell you what your wage is going to be? Obviously, you wouldn't have had an agent.
1: Is it no. just,
2: does that conversation take place between you and the manager, you and somebody else? How does it work?
3: No, it did then, Joe. And it's interesting. And I mentioned this lad before, Sean Gotto. We both joined at the same time. And again, if I'm brutally honest, Sean was progressing probably better than me. Um, and he was probably a better goalkeeper than me. Unfortunately, um, when, when it came to decision time, Sean was a bit older than me. So they had to make the decision about Sean first. And I was convinced he was going to get offered professional terms, which really would have kiboshed my chances of a professional contract. And like I say, Tommy Kavanagh was, was the coach. And he was very, very old school, was Tommy Kavanagh. Uh, and he hated goalkeepers wearing gloves because, you know, in, in his day, it was a pair of cotton gloves or, or, or nothing. And he used to mecca's us train with no gloves on. And, and it was really, really difficult. Uh, and Sean, this particular day, had had a nightmare in training and he, he'd Tommy Cameron had given him so much stick, uh, which he did. You know, he did that regularly. But then he would, you know, as soon as the whistle went to say training was over, that was it. everything was forgotten. He was your best mate, but he used to call you like Al Jolson, and you know, getting fucking gloves off and all. Anyway, Sean, uh, Sean had had a really bad morning and and booted a ball in, in anger uh, and it hit Tommy Cameron on the back of the head. <laughs> and and I, I can only guess. I can only guess that that was the end of his career uh, because and miraculously he, he he didn't get he didn't get offered a contract which was which was a shock to me and I'm sure it must have been a shock to him and then I got picked probably the week after I got picked to play in the FA Cup uh, fixture against united at turf we got beat 2-0 but again I had one of them games where everything they hit towards the goal I stopped whether I knew about it or not uh, and I got taken in the next day by tommy Kavanagh, and he and he said I want to offer you a professional contract now Initially, they only offered me the contract to the end of the season. And, and you're right, Joe, no, we didn't have agents then. You could have contacted the PFA, but I didn't feel it was worthy of contacting the PFA. So I spoke to, to Joe Neenan, who, who was the first team keeper. I explained to him what, what they'd offered. And he just said, well, you know, to be honest, he says, you want another year. You know, if you can get this season and another season, he says, then, you know, you're not going to bad do. So I went back and asked them. If they would consider giving me the, uh, the the additional season, and they came back and said yes, so it was it was very much they told me what they were offering me. It was up to me whether I accepted it or not.
0: And what and were you then? Seventeen. Yeah. Seventeen.
3: Yeah.
0: It's bizarre, isn't it? You know, a seventeen-year-old know, lad having to negotiate with these hardened professional sportsmen yeah. in, uh, yeah. in, in the contracts. You know, how times have changed.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I think they get they get agents virtually now. As soon as you know, as soon as they signed a professional contract, it's. Uh, I
0: mean, Tony, don't don't answer this if you don't want to. But how much was it for?
3: Uh, my first year was fifty pound a week. Fifty pound, but the club paid for me digs. All right,
0: happy days. But didn't buy you boots or goalie gloves.
3: No, 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 they didn't.
0: Uh, Loudon,
3: when, when you were an apprentice, when you were an apprentice, you used to get a chitty for thirty pound, which you could take to. Um, a sports shop in, in Burnley, so it was either Malcolm Yardley's or, on Hall Street or, or Cocker's. They were your choices, and you used to get thirty pounds twice a year to go and get your boots. Uh, and obviously, as a keeper, I, I got an additional thirty to go and get some gloves. When you signed in the professional ranks, it was it was down to you. Uh, and you were given a list of contacts for for Nike or Adidas and you can imagine the day-john letters that I got when I wrote asking if they were interested in sponsoring uh, <laughs> Tony <the> <laughs> Woodworth Burnley. I think I've still Do got one of the letters from Nike, actually.
0: The, uh, those vouchers they used to give you, the £30 vouchers, is it right once you got your first one, the year, the six months later you went in and says, a chance for one for Belfield's chipper? <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. <laughs> Belfields wasn't... All right, Joe.
3: <laughs> Belfields wasn't open then, Jez. It was uh,
0: Todd Road I used to go. Todd Road, Chippen. So, oh, Todd, You signed your first contract. You're there. You know, you're now in the first team. I mean, it, it's quite unbelievable that like, you've got a first-team squad of whatever, you know, 15, 16, 17 players, and then, you know, a few injury suspensions. You've nothing... The club have nothing to call on, but basically youth team, what was yeah. the first experience of the, you know, the first team and being involved with these top professionals?
3: The first the first real experience I had was beginning of the 85-86 season, Martin Buchan had just packed in, Tommy Cavanaugh had taken over, um, and I don't know whether you remember this, but they, they used to take part in a pre-season trophy called the Lanx Manx Cup. And it was all the Lancashire teams, and then the final. You got to the final, you'd get to go play on the Isle of Man in an in an exhibition game. And in 85, beginning 85-86 season, Burnley got to the final against Blackburn Rovers at Ewood. And yeah. Obviously, in them days, it was only one sub. Right. So not like they have now. They have five subs, and they've got to have a subkeeper, keeper. You can have a subkeeper. But they relaxed it for that game to say that because it's a pre-season competition, you could go to, um, you could have subs. So I was named on the bench at Ewood. Right. Uh, and in the lead up to the game, it was all, um, I, obviously I wasn't here at the time, but the last time they played at Ewood, the Burnley fans had wrecked the, the stand and brought the roof down and set it on fire. So there was all this hoo-ha about, you know, how you've got to conduct yourself and, and how you've got to behave. and Yeah. Uh, so that that was my first involvement with the first team. When we, we got beat 1-0, I was on the bench obviously warmed up on the pitch, caught on the pitch at half-time, obviously never going to play. And then, I can't think when it was, I think it was 86, I was a professional and I'd signed professional forms, and I got told that um, I was in the squad to to play at Exeter, April 86. And I had to be, I had to be, John Eenan was injured, I had to be at Turf Moor for something like six o'clock in the morning. And again, just a sign of the times and how poor the club was. You didn't have, it, no player had his own tracksuit. It, it was a pool of Adidas tracksuit that the club had. And if you were travelling long distances, you, you you got to wear one of these tracksuits. But because I was the youngest, I was left to the last to, to get my tracksuit. So everyone else turned up, got there, make sure it fit. And I was left with what, whatever was left, uh, which didn't fit me. It probably fit me now, but... <laughs> didn't, didn't fit me. And I looked all right, going...
2: So, so, John Ean's injured, Tony, so you think at this stage you're playing? Yeah, I think I'm, I'm mm. playing and, and
3: you know, I only found out the day before. So, I'm nervous all the way down. I mean, nowadays, they go the night before, don't they? Or, you know, All the way to Exeter, we, we were stopping at Western Supermare for a, a, a pre-match meal, uh, which was all new to me. Uh, so, we get we get to this hotel, Western Supermare, we, 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 we sit down and everyone's getting put in front of them, you know, Waiters are coming out beans on toast, and Phil Malley had put his hand up and whatever. And there's a girl walking around with like scrambled egg on toast, and no one's checking it. And I'm thinking, well, I've not even, I've not even ordered. Well, they're not even asked me what I want. And someone says, "Oh, uh, John Neenan normally has scrambled egg on toast." <laughs> that'll be that'll be Tony's. <laughs> so again, you know, I just got what Joe Neenan had probably ordered, thinking he was going. Um, and it was only then. Oh, from the journey from Western super mare down, uh, down, down to Exeter, that Tommy Cavanagh spoke to me and said, you know, you, you, might, you, you do know you might be making your debut today. I've got every faith in you, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I'll speak to you when we get to the ground, which was, you know, you might be making your debut. I, I didn't really understand that. But when we got to the ground, they'd signed a guy called Dennis Peacock on loan from Doncaster Rovers. And he had all been, you know, kept hush hush in case the, you know he never got approval or Dennis Peacock didn't want to join. But he did, um, so it, it was a it was an experience. But I never I never played in that, uh, that particular fixture. They won they won two 0 and we had a good journey back uh, in my big Adidas track suit. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> and, uh, and then, obviously, the this the, we we then move into the the last season, which again was was a very 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 difficult season for everybody. Looking back, like I said there was no central league side. Uh, the squad was was depleted when you look at it, and it was a difficult difficult time. And and coming into eighty seven, the turn of the year, we had a very 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 bad frost, freezing conditions, so training was hard. And then the first team. Um, at a range, if you remember in them days, Preston North End had an AstroTurf pitch. Yeah, yeah, I remember it, yeah. And, and they managed to arrange, to try and give them a bit of a, 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 a run around and a proper match. Preston agreed to let Burnley use the pitch against um, a against Blackpool side. Now, Blackpool were two divisions higher than I think. Some great players, Paul Stewart, Alex Dyer, I think Sam Allardyce were playing. Um, so the first team weren't in training, and I was told to go and train with the, the youth, the youth players. Which was a, a running day for them. So I went and did all the running, and then we were doing shooting, and then I get, suddenly get called by, I think it was Arthur Bellamy who said, Go and get your kit together, you need it at Preston. Uh, and I said, need it at Preston? Why am I needed at Preston? He said, well, I, said, I think Joe Torninen's injured, and, and there's no keeper. So I got taken over to, uh, to Deepdale, full of mud, straight into the dressing room, straight out onto this pitch against Blackpool's first team. And, and we we played this fixture and and I know you'll believe me, Jez, but others will. I had a really, really good game. Yeah. And we, and we drew 2-2. So, you know, Ryan Miller was the manager, said, you did very well. I uh, have every faith in you. No problem. Then the, the week after we uh, we were in a trophy called the Freight Rover Trophy.
0: Yeah, Together, yeah. It was
3: local local clubs and, and a chance to get to Wembley. And I was told that morning in training, you, you're playing tonight um, at Bolton Burnham Park. So fortunately then I had a chance to tell my parents. Um, my mum, my dad, my auntie Val all, all managed to get to Burnham Park. I got them tickets um, and I was just overjoyed you know making my first team well it was my first team debut I know people don't see it but for me that was that was the uh, uh, pinnacle of, of my footballing career uh, and it just felt good to be part of the, the team um Bolton were a great side they had a, an attacking duo in them days called George Garney and Tony Caldwell who were scoring goals for fun Derek Scott were playing for them um uh, and we, we went 1-0 down, which was not my fault, um, and then all of a sudden, probably about like 30 minutes in, there, there, was a, there was a fog started descending on Burnham Park, and it got worse and worse and worse, and, worse. and, and I must have I didn't even know we'd equalised, but at half, time, <laughs> at half time, it was 1-1, one, one, uh, and we go into the dressing room, we're having a cup of tea. And then, you know, Brian Miller's giving us the talk, saying, you know, you're doing really well, just keep going, just keep playing. And, you know, they're not causing any problems. Tony, you've got it sorted at the back. And uh referee comes in and he said I'm calling it off. Said, no, what, right? said, what do you mean, you're calling it off? He said, well, he said, it's like, you, you can't see the other end. You can't, from the halfway line, you can't see the goal. Anyway, we went out and you couldn't. And, and and there was no sign of it lifting, so it was abandoned. Um. So that was that written off, and then of course that was on the twentieth. That was on the Tuesday night. Had the day off on the Wednesday training Thursday, and I just I just presumed Joe Joe Enan uh, would be back fit for, for the weekend. Um, and he was in training on the Friday, thought nothing of it. Um, obviously, he had to report to the game on the Saturday as normal. So you had to be at the, you had to be at the ground for half one two o'clock. And uh, for a three o'clock
2: kickoff,
3: three o'clock kickoff, yeah. There were no meetings for meals or anything like that. It was straight to the ground, make your own way. Um, and as a as a, as a, as a young pro, you used to get two complimentary tickets for every game, and there was always a gaggle of people at the players' entrance. Are there any tickets, Tony? Any tickets? And then nights that, I'd just give my you know, parents never used to come over if I were playing. Uh, and on that particular game, I, I, a good friend of ours, uh, Frank Kent, was, was stood at the entrance. Uh, have you got any spare tickets, Tony? So I said, Yeah. Well, and this time, I didn't know I was playing. So I goes in, and, and, and Brian Miller took me to one side. And he says, Tony, he says, I'm, I'm sorry to drop this on he says, but you, but you know you're playing today. Joe's Joe's not fit. He said, I'm sorry that you're not going to have time to get your parents over. And, you know, no problem, no problem. I was trying to get me, my mind focused. Oh my God, I'm playing, but, you know, I did all right on Tuesday. Anyway, so I thought, right, I'm going to take these tickets down. And there's Frank at the at the end. So I, I give him the tickets, no problem. Off it, off it tops, I go in, start getting ready. And by this time, the nerves are setting. This is now I'm on a football league debut and there's no sign of fog. And, 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 and that was that, you know, everyone was very, very good. The players, you know, don't worry, you'll be fine. But, they, you know, I was very, very nervous. Very, very nervous. One of the first things in them days, you know, you could, you could roll the ball out and get it back and pick it up. You could throw it across your box and, and run across and, and get it back off your defenders, you know. Nowadays, you, you can't do that. One of the first things I did, I threw it out to Darren Heeson and, and he sold it short back to me. And I had to make a sliding save, which gave me a lot of confidence. And then Hereford scored against the run of play. And then probably the where it started to really go wrong, the ball came over the top, uh, and I set off to run out to, to clear it. I was going to boot it. And Ray Deakin, who, who you know was a very, very good player, shouted for me to go back. Now, in hindsight, I shouldn't have listened to him. I should have just carried on and, and wellied it. But I went back, and I was in no-man's land, and I brought there forward down. he got a penalty, and that was that was two now. And then uh, the rest is history, jazz. Yes. I'd rather... <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: Tony, can, were, can you remember anything about the the like the status of the game? Were, were they like at the top of the league? Where were we? Was, was there anything? No, we, we, we like that you can remember about the game?
3: We we were probably both languishing towards just above the bottom of the table. Joy from from memory. You know, we we were. I don't think at that time in January, I don't think we we had any fears of 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 being where we ended up. That was just a, a and again, I, I don't just say this, but two, two at least two of the goals were were just, you know, in, in the in the in the corner that you couldn't get anywhere near. I think they had a lad called Finn, Phil Stan who scored a hat but again, we we were, we were we were just all over the place. The defense were all over the place. I mean, two of the goals were one on ones. It was it was just one of them. To everything they hit went went in, uh, and you know, it, it was what it was. Six 0 at home. Football League debut, yeah. And, you know, after the game, Brian Miller, bless him, God rest his soul, a lovely, lovely man who did everything he could for Burnley. He just took me, before I went into the Chessing Room, he took me into his manager's office. You know, don't worry about that, That it's not your fault. You know, you've got a great future at this club and and there'll be a contract for you at the end of the season. We we see you as the future of the club, um, which was reassuring. The players were brilliant. Uh, But unfortunately, I never got back in. Um, John Inan came back the week after I think they got stuffed 4-0 the week after away at Hartlepool or somewhere like that in the next game, Uh, not that it made me feel any better, Joe played the rest of the season obviously, Um, Orient was the the penultimate game which was very very pressurised but then of course reality strikes and I don't know how it works now with agents but in them days probably a week after the season was over you all had to go into training and, and you'd be called in one by one to discuss your, your future. <clears throat> and again, I remember speaking with Joe, Joe Neenan and, and Joe Neenan saying, you know, you, you need to be looking for two years now at your stage of your career. You want to be looking for a minimum of two years. So I'm thinking, oh, well, Brian Miller said I've got a good future. We said, that, you know, I, so I was devastated when I went in and he said, look, he says, we've looked at it and because we don't have a central league side, we, we don't feel we need a, a second goalkeeper uh, professional goalkeeper because we we've got the youth we can have an apprentice goalkeeper we can have a first team goalkeeper and if we need anybody we can get someone on loan so you know <clears throat> and in them days you're looking and saying well if it had been 100 pound a week they, they just couldn't afford it so I, I i was released and i don't i don't know i don't know how true it was but joan had already agreed a contract but when he found out i'd gone I'd been released. He, he went back in and tried to renegotiate his and, and Joe left. And that was the year they brought Chris Pearce back
0: Oh, I was just having a look on there, Tony. Well, I, I mean, I, I do remember now that it was the uh, the famous Orient game at the end of the season. Mm. There were 15,781 people on that Burley Orient game, which is to be expected. You know, Burnley needed to win to save their uh, probably existence. Guess how many were on the game you uh, played in? One thousand nine hundred and sixty-one. <laughs> one thousand nine hundred and ninety-five. It says on this one. <laughs> <plan. laughs> <laughs> That's unbelievable, isn't it?
3: Art? When you think of a stadium like Turf more there's less than two thousand on. That's bizarre. See, but the, the 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 laughable thing about uh, was was I mentioned before? I'd give Frank. I didn't know Frank as he was. You know, I don't. I didn't know him then. But I'd give him Frank these tickets, and I'll never forget. You know, we we defended the the cricket field stand in the second half, so, you know, it it would have been easy just to turn around and leg it up the tunnel, but it wasn't the right thing to do, go and shake hands with the opposition, referee, walk towards the centre spot, and I'm walking off, and I hear this voice shouting from the cricket field stand, you're fucking rubbish, Woodworth, go and get a
0: job!
3: (laughs) And I look up, and and it's the guy I've just given two fucking complimentary tickets to. (laughs)
0: Experience and great, oh, yeah. you know. As we mentioned previously, I'm sure people listen and be fascinated by your story and through that professional ranks. And if anyone's got any questions, then get them in WhatsApp, Twitter, yeah. whatever uh, they need. And I'm sure you will uh, you will look to answer answer them. But you moved on from there, Tony. You played quite a lot of, of non-league football, played football abroad, and you know, and you know, it was clear that your career was. Um, was destined for a work away from professional football, um, and that's where I think you know me and you met, and then and Stan Eaton met you know in in the cops. And fortunately, you came to um, you know to play cricket at Law House. I didn't know anything about you when about your cricket when you were coming down to play. And it's only since that we discussed about you were a, a good cricketer at school by your level. And I think it's fair to say you did offer. A vast amount of uh, to the club when you first came, dude. Can you remember when Tony first came down? Because you'll have played a bit of second team with him, would you?
2: I, I definitely remember playing second level cricket. I don't remember. I, I don't remember sort of meeting Tony at any stage. I remember batting with him at home in a, in a game at Law House. so when that started or what time period that was, I, I wouldn't know, Jez. No, no, but I think it's safe to
0: say that so many people were impressed and you, it was almost the the professionalism that you brought into dressing rooms and your keenness and obviously your pranks and your, the the different jolly jokes that were going on within the dressing rooms, etc. and I'll never forget when you know you, you got in the first team for those you know for the four games that we played together and everyone in the second team used to tell me about this and and they used to see at the nets we'd try and really have nets that were quite intense and turn it believe it or not for listeners was an absolute master at tip and run. Mm. Never seen Correct. a batter, you know he would just no matter what state of the game, stop the ball and run. Yeah that it was all it was always something that through through
3: through my schoolboy cricket it was always something that I was always taught Keep the scoreboard turning over, you know. Keep yeah. alternating the strike, and yeah. And again, I, I was nowhere near. I you know, look at some of the, the the kids that you've got these days, and and the the quality of them. But I do feel that they miss so many so many singles and so many opportunities to, to score by by being correct and and or whatever. But you know, who am I? But you're right. When when I finished playing, I, I did have a choice to make. at make a choice between whether I'm going to try cricket I was never as good at cricket as I, as I was at football so from 16 I probably didn't play cricket until I came down to Lower House which I must have been 30 around yeah. the 30s so um, yeah. maybe late 20s so oh, it was great to I think my first season from memory I think Sean Flegler was, was pro so whatever year that was so I think Flegs was the first pro that I was sort of involved in the seconds but uh, yeah, tip and run. I used to say to him, you know, you just, all have got to do is just tip 95. and run with Ninety-five,
0: was it? Yeah. Yeah, ninety-five, ninety-six flag like, for all two years.
3: Yeah, so you know, some, you know trying to get, get the young ones to, to just see that, you know, there's runs everywhere. There's runs in the yeah. field and you know, they're not gonna pick it up and throw your stumps down. And some yeah, of these you young know. lads were were so much fitter than what, what I was. I mean, I was a lot fitter in them days, but uh, but then, then it comes to bite you, you know. On uh, that game at Rishton, I'll never forget that. And you know, I was so pleased to get asked to, to play in the first team for a number of reasons. And I'll never forget 2001, beginning of the 2001 season. Paul Stansfield had taken over as skipper.
2: Paul Stanley taken over as captain of the second eleven.
3: Yeah, yeah. It didn't. It didn't always. It didn't always see eye to eye with Stan's decisions, didn't scanny and. Uh, and on this particular occasion, he couldn't wait to tell me this, this story of, of him having a meeting to see. And Stan had brought up who are we are going to have keeping wicket for the second team. And, and Stanley says, Well, he said, you know, I don't think there's any choice really. So I think we've got to go with Tony. Yeah. And Stan says, Like Tony Woodward. Uh, and Stanley says, Yeah, yeah, he's, he's the best of what we've got. We've no one coming through as youth. And he does a good job. And Stan says, yeah, But he's enormous. <laughs> He's enormous. I wasn't then, but then going into, I used to have banter with Stan all the time. We used to play with Stan uh, at football and social stuff and all. That. And he used to, he'd never agree with you on a footballing point. And I'd always just say to him, Stan, what standard have you ever played at? And it became a standing joke. So when when I got into the first team in, in at, at Lower House, uh, I think the first game was Ramsbottom at home, which we yeah. lost. Yeah. We then we then played Accrington away.
0: Yeah, that's right.
3: And I wasn't required to bat. Yeah. Um, and then there was Richton and I was down to bat number ten. Yeah. And and it was a it was one of them games where Jacques were taking the side apart, but we were losing wickets quickly trying to post the total. And it was clear my, my time was gonna come. i padded up on the balcony and Matt Stanny's in with Jacques. Jacques was probably four times as quick as, as Stanny. And there was no surprise when he ran Stanny out. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I got up to to, to go, to, to to walk down uh, with about an over to go. And Matt Oates, who's captain, says to me, uh, he didn't look me in the eye, he just said, Tony, he said, let Johnny go. And Johnny, <laughs> I, I'm thinking, you know, Johnny Russell can't bat. Johnny Russell can't hold a bat. I can, tip, <laughs> I, I can tip and run. I can, you know, I'm, I'm the best at tipping and running. So I never said anything. <laughs> Obviously, a team player, uh, Jacques sees the, the, the innings out. Johnny's not out when he comes in. We we actually tie that game, as you know. And in the bar afterwards, I said to Matt, I said, Matt can I just ask you, it's peeved here, I said, but you know, I just need to ask a question. And once you've answered it, I'll, I'll let it go. I said, uh, can I just ask you why you put Johnny Johnny Russell in before me? He says, yeah, he can run. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: They've no idea.
3: They've they no idea. No, no idea.
0: idea.
2: Tony, a, a lot of years after it happened, but would you... Would you like to admit to putting that pie under Terry Small's uh, seat cover at uh, Bake Up, now or not?
3: Well, I'll, I'll, I'll turn it back on you, Joe. Now you know me a lot of years after, if I'd have had opportunity to do something with a pie, would I have stuck it on your <laughs> seat
2: or, or would I have eaten it? <laughs> uh, Good, answer. <laughs> Good answer. Good answer.
0: Point, Tony. Uh, Joe Martin, any observations about you know the, 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 the,
1: Tony's introduction to the Low House Cricket Club? Yeah, there's well, there's a couple of things for me. When he talks about um, tipping and, and running, um, yeah. it's something that we really struggle to coach at the cricket club, with uh, you know in, in lots of lots of age groups. And for me, it comes down to awareness. Tony, do you think that you're although it's a different sport, you get you have a like a, a perception of the game and some awareness of how, how things are moving within a game and when you played football. Do you think that helped you when you were playing cricket or was it just something that you were learning when you were younger?
3: I think it was something that was drilled into me, Joe, to be honest. Right. Um, and, and it was, you know, in them days, um, it was a case of you've got to keep – that. that's how you were taught. I mean, don't get me wrong, we didn't have the batting coaches like you, you guys give, give the kids these days – we didn't have the facilities. Uh, we didn't have bowling machines as such. And, that, and that's that's what were drilled drilled into me. And don't get me wrong, you know, I look at some of these kids nowadays uh, and the technique that they've got is absolutely amazing. But whilst I stood there holding the stance, for me, th- there could be a single. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And,
3: you know, you know when, when we're looking at, Sometimes we look at a scoreboard and we get stagnant in in the middle of an innings. I just think we could we could we could turn it over. And I'll never forget when I, I started umpiring, as you know, and I think you might have even played in this game, Joe. It was a it was a, a, a young district game. Oh, under
1: 13 uh, against uh, Blackburn. Blackford. Burnley versus Blackburn,
3: yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. And it was at it was at uh, House and this lad came into bat for for Darwin. Blackburn and Darwin and like, say, 13 years of age, and he would knock in the ball, and he'd say, yes, one, it's gone to his left hand, he's right-handed. And and this went on throughout the game. He, 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 were, he were brilliant. And it turns out it was Alec, Alec Dave, Alex Davis, who yep. now keeps wicket for Lancashire. And 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 not saying that I was anything like Alex Davis, but that was just what I'd sort of been taught. That's how to play the game. He was. I would never have been able to run and say, that's gone to his left hand and his right-handed. There's a single there, but, you know... The, con- the concept was the same and, and I do think we do miss tricks in, in building scores and keeping the scoreboard ticking over by not taking these
0: opportunities.
3: Well so it's funny I-,
1: I, I, I completely agree with, with him. Um, it's something that's not that I, do, that I don't do massively in my game I'm not very I'm not very good at it I don't have that sort of foresight and and I don't have that foresight in many things I do to be honest with you. but it's funny you did mention that game um Tony because Alex got a, got 100 that game I can, I can mm. remember it vividly he got 103 I think and I got I got 88 and show off no, this is going to be a a, a real sort of disparaging comparison. Is that the the difference between me and Alex? Well, there were lots of differences between me and Alex. Davis, he was good, um, but he his ability to run between the wickets was something that I've that I've never seen before. The majority of my runs came in boundaries or hitting them to deep extra cover. But he, and it took me all innings to get eighty eight, mm. whereas he was able to he was able to negotiate the field. With ease. But I suppose,
3: I suppose it's like anything, Joe, it's having the confidence to, you know. And again, I look at the I look at the fielding standards in the Lancashire City first team now, uh, and even in our own side with with the likes of Charlie, you, you wouldn't you wouldn't want to risk taking a single to Charlie.
1: No,
3: and it's obviously knowing knowing you field and, and knowing the standard of your opposite, opposition. And I think that 's what Alex Davis had picked up like that, whether he knew you guys or he knew whether he just observations from you know left hand he's, to his left hand he 's right handed as a single
1: yeah, absolutely, I mean he was genuinely he 's the best cricketer i 've yeah. i 've ever yeah. seen at that uh, and I mean we were playing against him all the time he would Darwin would beat us, and he would win games on his own yeah and that 's how good he was uh, the second thing Tony sorry everybody, but the second thing was. Obviously, you, you join the police, and then how did how did that sort of move you to come into play for 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 Lower House? How did how did that sort of conversation go? Negotiation go with? Well, I don't think there's Panigan. much of a
3: negotiation. There was much of a negotiation, Joe. I, I'd sort of um, I think I think if I remember right, there I wanted to get back into cricket. I'd been down to watch Lower House a couple of times, and again, Jez, you might know this. The pro before flags, would it Craig Light?
0: Yeah, Craig Light was ninety four.
3: Yeah, I think that's the first time I'd been down to watch. I didn't know anybody then. Yeah. Uh, and I'd been down to watch Low House a couple of times and then played at Belvedere for, for 12 right. months with um, your uncle... David? David. Yeah. Um, and then then I, I, I obviously met Uncle Stan or new Uncle Stan <laughs> and, I, and was introduced to, to Low House, which obviously we've, we've never looked back.
2: Fantastic. Tony, just a question, just going back a bit, if I can. You know when you got released from Burnley? Yes. Was there no thought of any other clubs or trying to make it elsewhere as a footballer or was that it?
3: Yeah, no, there was, there was, Joe. Again, it's, it's so, so different now to, to what it was then. Obviously, we didn't have internet, we didn't have mobile phones uh, and... I'm not blaming anyone. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. But, but like I say, you know, we dropped, we dropped out of the central league. So my only, if you can call it, my only opportunity to play in the shot window was was playing in a, in a Lancashire youth game on a Saturday morning against City A team, United A team, or Southport reserves, or anything like that. And again, you know, Brian Miller, were very, very, very. Good to me, and he offered he offered to give me references, and and he even said to me, "So you know, if you want to come, if you don't get a club, come back and do tra- pre season training with us. We just can't pay you hindsight. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I'd have taken him up on that offer because I think opportunities may have come, but but for for whatever reason, and I can't put my finger on it, I didn't. And, and again, you know, when you when you were. At that stage of, of, of your career, you know, professional football, you were running every day, fit as a fiddle. Running was not a problem to me them days. Uh, but once you start losing your fitness, it is very, very difficult to, to, to get it back <clears throat> after after not doing pre-season and so on and so on. I went playing at Morecambe I can't think how long after that was, uh, where Eric Worley was the manager. And I really, really struggled. Really struggled up there because you know my, my fitness had dropped, and and then you were only training once w- or twice a week, <clears throat> once a week if you had a midweek game. Sometimes you you didn't train at all, but you had to, to drive from Burnley to Morecambe to train, and it was re- I found it really really hard work, and I, I, I just didn't feel up up to the standard of playing at Morecambe. and, and then then I got the opportunity to to play for. A couple of reserve games for Scunthorpe, which, which again I did and I did all right. Um, but you were you were that far down the pecking order, unless you were at something exceptional that was going to be better than what they already had. Um, when when their injuries recovered, you you were never going to get you're never going to get uh, snapped up. And you know, you just have, sometimes you just have to accept that you're you're just not good enough for, for, for that standard. And then I, the, the probably the next time I started enjoying football again was at Darwin in, in the Northwest Counties the Northwest Counties League where I played under a, a guy called Ian McGarry who a uh, real character from Darwin and, and I started enjoying football again at the, the Northwest Counties and then like Joe says I joined the police and, and they put a kibosh to him to that um, just really because of the shifts and and you just couldn't commit to playing at such a high standard
0: no, interesting Tony it must be difficult you know pros that get released at 25 26 you know they've got a little bit of background and you know with all respect a little bit more worldly wise you know you've you've moved away from home you're playing in this you know this town and you're living there and then all of a sudden it, it's gone and you're still not you know you're still not 21 right. yeah oh, yeah please. yeah but you've managed you've got through all that side of it and you've um, you know you've. And I wouldn't, say, I, w- I
3: wouldn't change any of it Jez you know like I, I said like I said at the beginning it's, it's people set out for that dream I have I, I'm proud to say I've played for Burnley I'm proud to say I was a professional footballer I've made some yeah. great friends and I don't regret anything I wish would have beat Hereford, but we didn't.
0: Also, Tony, you've got, you know, you can tell there's so much respect for you in, you know, in your, in your professional football life. I mean, I just there's one little story. I don't know if you two, Joes, have ever bored you with this story. We had um, there was half a dozen. There was a group of us from the cricket club used to go away to watch test matches. So we'd plan it all well in advance, and we'd we'd buy the tickets, and we'd organise transport, or digs, and and food and drinks. You know, all that organisation was done. All by me, because those lazy bastards were always just fucking <laughs> off on the piss. And we went to Headingley in, what do you think, Tony, two, early 2000, 2000? Yeah, I think
3: it was two, just before 299, I think, Jess.
0: All right, okay. So we went there, and on this trip, I think there were six went, but two came a little bit later. And we me, Tony, my two brothers, Nicky and Matt, would always try and go for at least two, if not three days, trying to yeah. stop two nights, if not three nights. The first day was always a big day because, you know, you turned up there, Benedictine for the first ball, Benedictine for the first wicket, et etc. et cetera. Uh, So the second day was always a bit more difficult. And then on the third day, and we tried to get tickets for different parts of the ground. On the third day, we were beneath um, the old, the, it was like a big glass-fronted area heading left. And we were right, we were on the front row of the stand. So you've got the concrete concourse in front of you, the footpath. Um, and it's safe to say my brother Nicky was that rough. He could not, he could hardly move. But we managed to get him to the ground. And my other brother, Matt, decided that every pint we had, he would buy a Nicky one. So Nicky's <laughs> on the front with probably four, five, six pints lined up at the side of him. Why the stewards did move him, I don't know. So we're watching cricket, this is great. But I don't know if people remember, Joe Neenan is a really big friend of Ian, Ian Botham's, that's right, so so we're sat there. These two people walk past in front of us, or two or three people walk past him, but they're actually the other side of the uh, advertising hoardings. And one of them looks back at Tony and says, is that Tony Woodworth? And Tony said, Yeah, it is. He said, It was crack, it's Joe It was John Neenan, we both we said, Not that he said Tony, fucking hell, you've put some weight on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. but, but just getting back to the statue Tony had, guess where Tony ended up in the corporate box with those two having a few glasses of wine later on that day? Yeah. Yeah. I can
1: yeah. believe it. Um, yeah. Tony, we, we have mentioned you on the podcast before, Joe Benaduce mentioned you, because he argued that it was your uh, greatest moment in a cricketing uh, context. Uh, for Law House, I didn't, for I didn't Lore know you played with Michael Atherton, did I? Well, I think this probably trumps it, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. You're playing at Todmorden. Home
3: to Todmorden, Joe. At
1: Law House. Yeah, playing against Todmorden. Yeah. Joe Benaduce bowling, Tony. Yeah. If you can remember, walk me through it. Or run me through I, it, either or. But if, if I can remember, I remember everything about it,
3: Joe. <laughs> well, I'm ready. Like I say, Joe, it was the fourth game in two weeks. Uh, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, I was only picked because I think it was Charlie. Charlie got married. I don't know. I
2: don't know why you were playing.
3: Could have been. Could have been. I think Charlie married got married in 2002, married. I'm sure he did. Yeah. I think Charlie got married. And that's why. And... and Anyway, I got picked. So obviously, I played second team cricket. But no disrespect to the second team, the ball never came through as much as it did in the first team, and the the, the throws were never as accurate as in the first team. So my first first game was a okay, home against Ramsbottom, Michael Clark and, and co and then the second game the next day was at Accrington. Yeah, and I took a- my, I took my gloves off after after the Accrington game, and my my hands had swollen up that much. Um I thought I was I was I was gonna be deformed. Um anyway by by the, 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 the <laughs> second the second week came, they did settle down and just put it down to like bad technique. We played at Richton and, and they flared up again. So I was really, really not looking forward to playing on the um on, on the Sunday against Todmorden at home but obviously never let anybody down. And Matt asked me to stand up to him. Uh, which, again, I, I didn't really fancy, but I did. And, and he just kept leaving the ball and it, it just came straight into my gloves and right on the on the, the, um, the, the palms of my hand, which was swollen and sore. So what a relief when they brought Duke, John. Uh, but Tom had another sub-pro called Clinton Peake, who I think was playing at Barn Oldswick in the Ribblesdale League at the time. And he brought. He was an Australian guy from Victoria and, and he was uh, you know, obviously a good bat. But he brought his girlfriend with him. Must have thought he were playing at a test match because she cheered and squealed every time he hit the ball. <laughs> uh, encouraging, go on, Clint, go on, Clint. That's a great shot, Clint. He, he obviously misread one of Joe's and danced down the track. And, and I don't know, we were more surprised, me or him, that this ball had stuck in my gloves and I, and I managed to stump him. Bless him, uh, rest in peace. But Paddy and Pete were sat. On, on a bench. And all I heard Paddy and Pete showers I, I can't believe he's done that. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know whether he meant Clinton Pete dancing down the track to do or <laughs> me catching you on something. But, uh, I don't think it was Clinton Pete's greatest moment. It was interesting there. I think it
0: was probably was Tony. I think it was Charlie's wedding, because I was looking at the scorecards there. Because what do you reckon to this, um, Jo M, the current first 11 wicketkeeper? Yep. Tony played four games. 6th of July's debut, then 7th and 13th and 14th. He didn't back, which you know is not his fault. But we only we just about lost the first game, but won the next three with Tony on the side. So that's 75% win ratio. Yeah. The first game he'd won court, no buys. The second game, one court, two buys. The next game, no court, no buys. And the next game, one stump, no buys. So he's got Two buys in four games and seventy five percent win ratio.
1: Well, uh, there's two things there. I would say a very underrated wicketkeeper.
0: Right. I, good
1: point. I can believe it or not, Tony. I can remember. I can remember you playing in the first team. Good. Uh, one of the reasons, actually, because I can remember Stanley making his comeback. Uh, but I can remember you playing. And secondly, on your on uh, on your point, Jez, is. Um, Why didn't didn't he play more? I think we had,
0: um, you know, Charlie was doing a fantastic job because, you know, batter and a wicket-keeper. You know, Tony was holding the second team together, really. I'm not sure what that was like, you know, keeping it more as professionally possible. Yeah, you know, it is a
1: regret of mine that I didn't play with him more. Would, had Frank stop bookie keeping at that point. I think. <laughs> I, I, I
3: If I can just come in there, I think I was deemed more of a liability in the field than, uh, you know, without without joking, than, than Frank would have been to be honest. Yeah. Uh, and and I, if I'm not mistaken, was it not the the first game at Tomlinson? Did he not do his knee? Did we not have a bit of a delay? Right. And an ambulance had, had to come on and oh uh, Frank off hospital. He's he's
0: not down there as playing. I mean Frank went through a period, Joe, where um, it always seemed to me when we were playing baker that, you know, there were various shouts came from the uh, the spectators. Frank was either brilliant or rubbish. So there was many a shout of... What do they call
2: your keeper? Greasy Bear?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we've
0: got symbols behind the stage. I think we're having a bit of... A crisis of confidence, so that's why Tony came in. But just you know, going back to the low housing thing, Tony, you know, you've done so well around the social activities. You know, those comedians we used to have, we used to have some real banter there. And you know, and I know it will come back. Get this lockdown out of the way. I'm sure we'll have other activities like that. Is there anything you want to mention about the social side of the club that you've been involved in?
3: No, I think it was. Um... It was something I've always enjoyed organising. So, my, my first my first involvement it was I was invited as a guest to a, a sportsman's dinner that that was held at the club. I think, if I'm not mistaken, it was a Peter Stevenson was the, was the speaker. Oh, BBC. Yeah, and and I remember it vividly because that that same day I had uh, Stan Stan had been an or, or the day before, I should say, the day before he'd had his vasectomy and I'd taken <laughs> him to hospital and then picked him up afterwards and he was very, very, very poorly after the operation. But I, he bought me a ticket as a thank you and, and an introduction to, to the cricket club for this dinner. Um, so we met at the club and it was, a, it was a great night, but if you remember the old club as it was, I bet we only had 60, 70 people in um,
0: yeah, Ken Smalley
3: organised it. That's right, Ken Smalley. But, but Stan had had a few drinks and obviously still under the influence of the anaesthetic the day before and decided to tell us and show us that one of his testicles was infected. And he was, he were like, he was like Buster Gonad. Honestly, Joe, it was awful. And and then when I spoke to him, we spoke to Ken Smalley the next day and he starts telling me how much we've made from this dinner. I'm thinking we can, we can do better than that. And, and I think the rest is of history yeah. we, we took it away from the club we got a few more not, no disrespect to Ken he did obviously a lot for the club we we got a bit of a younger committee together and we we took it we went to the uh, the the Kibri and we used to it suddenly became like the lifeline for the club did those dinners didn't
0: it yeah and it was also i think if you remember i don't know if Joe Beneducci was part of this Joe martin what I've heard this story it was just went bigger and bigger and bigger and it was the lifeline for the whole time, you know, once a year event that Tony Woodworth organised that we would have. And can you remember that, dude when we had to ask all you rugrats to, uh, yep. to meal?
2: There were six yeah. or seven of us who turned up to KB in our suits. <laughs> <laughs> we, <don't laughs> uh, we were having a pantip bar before before dinner <laughs> and I can't remember who approached us, but uh, sorry lads, we've all the books. Would you... Would you, lads, mind awfully if we gave you your money back and you <laughs> you disappeared? <laughs> so uh, I can't remember exactly where it, it would have been me, Gav, Charlie, uh, Matt Stanny, Matt Marquis, probably, who uh, went Rup- around town in our. Johnny Russ, we're, yeah. uh, we went to Red Line in our suits and we walked at Red Line and the nobody in. DJ went, yeah. bloody hell, lads, you could have just brought your bus bash. You didn't need to wear a suit. <laughs> we're, all, we're, all, we're all suited up for a Sportsman's Dinner. Uh, so yeah, I do remember it quite well
0: it was joe i think the Kirby said we can we can cater for 240 or something we sold 260 tickets trying to blag an extra you know just just share the meals out a little bit and they're about 285 speaker <laughs> <laughs> then tony can you remember i think it
3: was either the first one we did was joey jones or frank worthington
2: yeah it, yeah. it must have been worthington because i i heard joey jones yeah, yeah, and obviously yeah. I wouldn't have heard. I wouldn't have heard the speaker that night.
0: Yeah, there were good times, Tony, you, you, um, and you did a lot for us then. And then you know you've, you know, you're such a personable type of lad. You've you know you're in touch with everyone. You know you don't fall out with anyone. You've got all these contacts that you've got, and you're still regularly in contact with Ryan oh, Harris.
3: Yeah, yeah, I, um, I keep in touch with Ryan, and and you know I've done ever since he first came over here. Um, yeah again a great lad and and you know i think he's fantastic that he always comes up to see us and i, I think the club as a whole has always looked after the yeah. pros i don't i don't think any really pros have a bad word to, to say about the club and and when they do but i think Ryan's a bit of an exception isn't he you know to say where he went
0: to yeah yeah you know, we've uh, been chatting just but, recently about you know the things crop up within these podcasts and you know sometimes it's not it's not put out there, you know, on the actual, the format so everyone can listen to. You. But it would be great to get people like Ryan to come on and give us 15 minutes on this. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. and Joe's going to have a look at Corbus doing it. So if you could do that, you get know, on Yeah, definitely. But it'd be great to get him on. Yeah, definitely.
1: No. Uh, I just noticed today that he um, uh, apparently he's applied for the um, South Australia co- coaching position or something like that. Has it? It said on, uh, I was looking briefly on Twitter at something. Um, yeah, I, I, think,
3: I think, you know, from speaking to Ryan, I think he's, um, he's, he's got aspirations of, of taking that next step. Of You know, I think he's been dealing with the under-19s recently and, you know, I think he, want, you know, he, he, he wants to take that next step and, and become a, a state coach or, or if he ever got the opportunity to become... Uh, the the Australian bowling coach and uh, and why not? Why wouldn't you?
2: Absolutely. He's had his uh, RPL gigs and he coaching wise. Yes, yes, yeah.
0: yeah. yeah I'll never forget Tony. Remember we used to, you know in the early days when we used to work together, Tony used to have a number of football managers jacket that he came to work in. One of those that went down past your knees walking around Burnley like he was uh, <laughs> uh happy days.
3: Yeah. And, and Joe, Joe mentioned before getting dressed up to go to a street party on Cog Lane. Do you remember when me and you went dressed up and it was on Melrose Avenue? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we did. They had a the street right.
0: party. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, with Danny Devlin throwing tiles at us. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Different kind of suit, though, Joe. Thank you for the invite. Thank you for giving me the time. And like I say, it's, uh, I, I hope people enjoy what they've heard and about my career. And I, I'm not ashamed of. Uh, getting beat 6-0 by effort. Like I say, I'm proud to play for Burnley, a great club, uh, and, and maybe an insight into what what used to happen for the apprentices compared to what they, they, they get now. And, uh, uh, and, and like I say, I'm always, old. if anyone has any questions they want to ask me about my football career, I'm not ashamed, I'm not shy, I'll, I'll tell it as it is. It's,
0: uh... Yeah, fantastic. Really appreciate that, Tony, as it's been a real insight. and It, it might be something that the likes of... Uh, Dex Stansfield and, and that group of players that maybe have a listen and see what it uh, used to be yeah. like in the days.
2: Uh, Tony, I was just going to ask you again. I, I should have asked you this at the time when you were talking about football. But Adam can knit it together if need be. I just wondered if, having year mean, you hear about people talk about football clubs and drinking cultures. What if that if there's any evidence of that in your time at Burnley? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, fair enough.
3: Yeah, I mean, it it was it were nothing. Like I say, Joe, things have changed so much. You know, they have they have dieticians now. They have. You know they get told when they can eat, what they can eat, what, where they can eat it. We we you know we had nothing at all like that. Like I say, the youth team never even had a coach. Um, and, and again, yeah, there was a, probably a drinking culture. You were expected in them days after the first team game. The first team players were expected to go to the sponsors' lounge. You were expected to stay for an hour. Some overstayed it. May probably be most weekends. And then you know again, you'd go from the the sponsors' lounge to the park view. And and you know th- there was a there was a massive drinking uh, drink. I don't, I don't, I'd say a drinking problem. But I suppose when you look back as a professional sportsman, you you, sh- you shouldn't do it. But in those days, that that's what that's what it was. You know they had they had strict rules. You weren't allowed out forty eight hours before a game. So if you were playing on the Saturday, obviously you weren't allowed out on a Thursday night. But best night in the park view was a, a Thursday night and and <laughs> and cats whiskers and Annabellas and it was. You know, a lot of people did it. If you got caught, you got caught. You got fined. But uh, you know, drinking drinking was part and parcel of of the of the game then. And you living on Allingrove Road was on your own corner. Yeah, yeah. And by by then after 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 my fishy I moved. Like I said, Phil Malley was a very good friend of mine, and his wife Deborah. Uh, I moved in with Debbie's mum and dad on on um, Mitla, Mitella? No, no, Clarence Street. It was just below the Woodman, right? right. Just below the Woodman, and uh, they, they, again, they were lovely, lovely people. Fantastic, fantastic to me. But the Woodman was very close.
0: <laughs> yeah,
3: uh, you know. And and you think nothing of going for a pint because that that's 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 what it was. It's you know, it doesn't it doesn't happen now, and, and I understand why, and and that's why they get they probably get paid so much more money because they they're so much more dedicated. It's uh, it's a totally different world.
0: Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Uh, Joe Martin, anything?
1: Yeah, it's it's um, really interesting that you talk then about uh, sort of dedication. But if you think about when you were coming through the ranks and you signed your first professional contract and stuff and and on the YTS scheme, I think. Yeah. Um, if you, I mean, thousands of, Kids play thousands of kids play football, you know probably million you know millions, but you know only a very very small percentage actually end up becoming becoming uh, professional. And I think that it's a, a really interesting and a, and an amazing story that you've that you've discussed there. That it was, was brilliant to hear. But also I think it showcases how much of how much commitment's needed to actually get to get to that get to that level. Because I'm sure that there would have been. And this isn't a, a negative comment, but I'm sure there would have been other goalkeepers, Tony, that were of a similar level, but you obviously worked just that bit harder and, and got. Yeah,
3: yeah. And, and, and you're exactly right there, Joe. And you know, yeah. with, 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 a, with a, a mutual friend in Chris Blezzard, who I'm, I'm sure was a very, very, very good goalkeeper, and I'm not saying he wasn't dedicated in goalkeeping, but you know, you've just got to be in the right place at the right time, and, and, and I, I maintain. Uh, but getting getting the opportunity to go to these places and clubs and, uh, and actually sign, I, w- I was, you know, obviously worked hard, and I was, I was, but I was in the right place at the right time. I've explained the unfortunate incident for Sean Gossel. I bet he, I bet he regrets that that morning forever because I'm convinced he either got. He'd have got a professional contract, but something happened, uh, and I was in the right place at the right time. And what you say now about kids? Kids today, I mean, they get they get signed up at eight year old, uh, Mm. and the commitment that they have to show, the pay, the parents have to show for for the numbers that actually get through, it's 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 frightening. Mm frightening and unfortunately, um, they don't seem to. Um, you know, they, they get in with a Premier League club at, at such a young age, and they stay through there till the 14, 15 and then if they don't get signed, it, ru- it ruins it for the the young lads who are in the in the level below. So you like to, you know, say they leave Burnley, but they get released from City United. They come to Burnley, they get Burnley, then take the best of them get rid of the kids that they've had through from kids to, to 14 15 so they then go to the likes of Bolton and Wigan and it's just a knock-on effect to, yeah you know to, to suddenly you, you, you know where but uh, you know kids it's a dream it's a dream for kids it? and it's an understandable dream because of the, the rewards are out there but it's a massive commitment mm. yeah ends it uh, Tony that's
0: been uh, that's been fantastic thanks very much for the everything that uh, you've done there I mean there's
3: only one quick story if you if you want to include it about the um how we got into me doing the compare do you remember that one at um we used to use Mike King all the time didn't we and we just used to pay Kingy for a comic speaker and a compare and we had the one at the um the Irish League and again Kingy had told us the price and and we'd agreed it, and we turned up one day. And, and as, as we did, we made a day of it, didn't we? The organizers, we met a you know, set up in the morning, yeah. a few pints in the afternoon, suited and booted, and then down to the dinner. Um, and, and I don't know whether Kingy was comparing this one or he was the comic, but one of them didn't turn up. So whether it was the comic didn't turn up or the compare didn't turn up. So Kingy said he'll do it all. So when I went to pay him at the end of the night, thinking he'd give us a discount, he said, Oh, no, no, no. I've done both jobs and he wanted full money. Yeah. So I was an arsehole, and I, uh, I said, right. I said, I'm doing it next year. I'm comparing it next year. And, and you held me to it. Yeah. Yeah. it's and right. I, that.
0: Yeah. And it and, kicked um, off his career. Yeah. Massive. Yeah.
2: Never, never yeah. looked back. Right.
0: Nothing else in chats. No. Really no, good.
2: Brilliant. That. Thank you, Tony. More than All
0: welcome right. time.